Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Let's give a round of applause for Lee Tilbury, shall we? Come on. God bless you. Bless you, man. Thank you. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Just bear with me as I steady my nerves. I wonder if you'll just turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13 to 16. This morning I'm going to bring a, a message about what I've entitled Diamonds Out of Dust. And uh, I've tried many times to get away from this message. The more I read into it, I tried to find other things to read about and talk about. But such is the humor of God, I think he forced me into a corner and I find myself standing here this morning preaching this message. Before we begin, let us just pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, you are an awesome God. You are mighty. You are wonderful. You are glorious. You are majestic. You are beautiful. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And Father, I pray that Lord, as you come to speak to your children today, all those who confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior and follow him, all those who do not yet know Jesus, I pray that, Lord, you will speak to the hearts of your children gathered here and listening online today. I pray that, Father, your word will be the truth that comes forward. Take myself aside and speak to your people. In Jesus' name I pray. It's not easy, I think, for any preacher, and I'm certainly feeling it this morning, when we talk about a a topic of holiness, and that is the topic that I'm going to be bringing this morning. Because even a preacher is having to go through the journey himself or herself to work out their own salvation with the Lord. And so much of what I say today and much of what I bring from Scripture and some of my own words I pray that you will receive it, that I'm not standing here telling you because I think that I am in any way righteous or in any way worthy. So let us turn to the word. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ 
is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything that you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Amen. We thank the Lord for the reading of his word this morning. As I said, the topic I'm bringing this morning is holiness. And one of the things that's always interesting about holiness is that it's a journey. And there's always kind of two different types of audiences. There are those that don't really want to know about holiness. And there are those who above all desire through their relationship with Jesus to know how to be holy and how to be conformed to the image of Christ. So my first question to you this morning before we even get started is which category do you fall into? Because I will hopefully encourage and share my thoughts and unpack these thoughts this morning. But my words will only really be able to encourage those that want to live in holiness. And we just pray for those that are not desiring to be with God or desiring to live in holiness. And we just pray that God will work on your hearts and help you to understand and bring that revelation as to what holiness is. When I talk about holiness, I'm talking not so much about purity in, in terms of these scriptures that I'm going to bring you this morning. I'm referring to the sanctification, which is the separation of those who confess Jesus to be their Lord and Saviour. And by sanctification or separation, it's, think of it in, the, in, in these terms. It's a very, very simple analogy, but bookmarking. When you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, Christ bookmarks you and says, you belong to me. He's put a mark against you through the blood of Jesus and he says, you are now entering into the family of God. You are in my family. You are my child. When we look at the book of First Peter, this scripture that we're writing, and just to give us a bit of understanding, Peter was writing to several churches around this time, it's probably around AD 62, so it's about 28 years or so after Jesus had ascended to the right hand of God. And he's writing to uh, different churches, mostly a sort of Jewish Christian audience, scattered all across the northern parts of Antioch, uh, Cappadocia, uh, Asia, and all around those northern parts of the maps. If you go to the maps at the back of your Bible, that's what they're there for. That will help you to understand a little bit of geography. And that will give you some idea as to where this letter was being addressed to. And just as the church was scattered, some of us this morning may be sitting here with scattered thoughts about Christianity, about our relationship with Christ. We may be sitting here this morning with different experiences 
that have kind of given us all sorts of questions as to how we are supposed to live. Now that I've accepted Jesus, what happens now? How do I live between the then and the now? And so, I want to encourage you really this morning to first of all realise what we have in Christ. Second of all, to show you that we need to practice what is encouraged by God. And thirdly, look to the future with hope and joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if we go back to our main scripture, in First Peter, it says here in verse 13, So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. If you did not know it before, if you have never heard this before, if you weren't quite sure of the lyrics that we were singing earlier on in our worship time, I've got some news for you. You could bookmark this and you could say that you heard it here first. Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen. Jesus is coming back. And in the notes that I read as I was preparing for this, it says in several places, with urgency or imminently. Amen? We have no idea when Jesus is coming back, but the Bible tells us that there is a sense of urgency about when he will be coming. And when he comes, then there will be lots of things happening around that time with different nations, different people. The Bible says that when Jesus returns for his bride, which is the church, which we are the church, amen, When he comes back, nations will mourn for him. But we, as his bride, should be eagerly awaiting him. We should be eagerly looking forward to seeing him. I wonder how many of us sitting here this morning could hand on heart say that they are looking forward to the time when Jesus comes. Myself included. I ask myself that question. It's quite challenging to consider whether we are, as the bride of Christ, dedicated to our groom, dedicated to the Son of God, dedicated to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, Or are we flirting with the world? Just a little thought to provoke us this morning. If you turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7, it says it like this. Look. And if you notice, actually, if I could just bookmark this for a second. In our first scripture, it says, look forward. Yes? Your attention is drawn. Look forward. Look for something. 
in this scripture, it starts with, look. So the emphasis is on us to be aware. Look. He comes with the clouds of heaven. And everyone, everybody will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn him. Yes, amen. All the nations will mourn for him. Why will they mourn? Why do you think they'll mourn? The main reason why all the nations will mourn is because they probably don't know Jesus Christ. And all the signs and all the impending judgment that is coming into play at that time when Jesus returns will suddenly become a revelation to them. And they will suddenly know that Jesus is real. And he is coming back for his children. Everyone who has confessed and in their hearts and with their mouth that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Why Jesus? Well, it's quite simple, really. When we look back at several other scriptures in the Old Testament, we see all the prophecies about who the Son of God will be. And then when we open at the book of Matthew in the New Testament, we are given a genealogy of who Jesus is. Jesus is the embodiment of God in flesh on earth. Amen? And he came to seek out his bride by buying each and every one of us back with his blood. We are his children. We are his creation. Everything that God made in the beginning, you could use this word, was sabotaged by the devil. And mankind, by their own choice, by Adam and Eve's choice to, to, to sin in the Garden of Eden, to go against the will of God for their lives, they sinned and mankind fell away from God. But it was said in the book of Genesis, right after it happened, that God would send a saviour. That it would come from the seed of Eve. Amen? So we can trace back everything that happens in the book of Matthew with the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. We can trace back to the book of Genesis. And if we think that this letter is being addressed at this time to a particularly Jewish Christian audience back in these days, it makes it even more relevant when we consider that the genealogy of Jesus would demonstrate the bloodline of Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies that came through the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah. Amen? So when the first time Jesus came to earth, he came to pay the price. We hear this many times 
Sometimes I wonder if we become a little bit complacent with what this really means. But he bought each and every one of you with his blood. He suffered on the cross, having lived the perfect life. He fulfilled what Adam could not fulfill in the Garden of Eden. He fulfilled it in the Garden of Gethsemane. What Israel could not accomplish in the desert in 40 years of wandering around in wilderness, Jesus accomplished in 40 days in his desert experience when he was tempted. He endured the cross. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was bruised. He bled. He shed his blood. So that the wrath of God, the justice that was due to each and every one of us sitting here this morning, was paid. The debt was paid. And we can confess Jesus, turn to him and say, I trust in him because he took the punishment for my sins. But it doesn't stop there. Not only did he take the punishment, not only did he live the perfect life, suffer the perfect death, but he was raised up to give us a perfect hope for a perfect future. So Jesus is the only prophet that has been resurrected through the power and was living. For 40 days after he was resurrected, Jesus walked the earth and he appeared to many different groups of people, sometimes in their hundreds, sharing and demonstrating that he was very much alive. Who here this morning feels like they have got their God, their Jesus is alive in their life today. Amen? It doesn't matter how hopeless things might seem. Jesus is alive. And when we turn to the book of Hebrews, if, we can, um, if you can just entertain this with me. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 9, verse 28. And it says here, So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Say many people. Many people. He will come again. Not to deal with with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting him. Eagerly awaiting him. If we go back to First Peter, the first opening line of that scripture is look forward. Be eager. Be eagerly awaiting. Are you eagerly awaiting? Or are you flirting with the world? Our faith in Jesus, our trust in who Jesus is, 
brings about two things, really. It brings about an assurance of salvation. Because we know from Scripture that if we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, we confess with our hearts and with our mouths, then we shall be saved. Comes back to what I mentioned earlier. We are bookmarked by God. He has sanctified us, made us holy. He says, you believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in what he did. You are now my child. And God takes you to one side. Separates you from the world. God said to Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I sanctified you. In other words, I set you aside. I set you apart. You are different. Your standards are different. Your morals are different. Your attitude is different. Your desires are different. I sanctified you. You belong to me, is what God was saying to Jeremiah. And when we turn to Colossians, chapter 1, verse 22, it says here, Yet now he, that's God, has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are Holy, there's that word again, you are holy and blameless as you stand before the Lord. When we accept Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in him, something happens. Could call it maybe relational A holiness, relational holiness. You could call it positional holiness. But by virtue of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you immediately become holy. You immediately become holy, sanctified, separated. God says, do not touch that child. He is mine. He belongs to me. He is jealous for you. He loves you. He came to pay the price for you. And when you respond and you say, I love my God. I love Jesus because of what he did for me, because of who he is. He then sanctifies you, makes you holy, separates you from the world. It's kind of funny, isn't it, that sometimes as Christians we... Try to resist the very reality that the moment that we come to accept Jesus Christ, that we're different. We spend nearly all our lives trying to fit in. Try and wear the same clothes as your mates, same labels. Try and attend the same venues, same parties. Try and speak the same language. Minus maybe a few of the cuss words. 
sometimes maybe if we're at that, in that kind of audience, maybe we attend parties and we sort of think, well, I won't do exactly what they're doing, but I'll just put a bit of a Christian twist on it and then maybe I'll get away with it. Truth is that we, we are different. And we need to understand that in our minds. You can't love God and love the world at the same time. It's impossible. Because you will love the one and hate the other. Or you will love the other and hate the other one. Second point I'd like to bring out of this scripture this morning is to do with what happens after I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. I mean, you know, all this holiness, it sounds very legalistic. You know, does this not mean do's and don'ts and I have to do this and I have to do that and if I don't then I'm in trouble or I don't earn my way into heaven? It's got nothing to do with legalism. Holiness has nothing to do with legalism. Holiness should be biblically born out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? It should come by virtue of the fact that you know Jesus Christ and that you are changing on the inside. You immediately come into a place of positional holiness because of what Christ accomplished. But then you go through changes and transformations from the inside out. Romans, I think it's uh, Romans 12 verse 2, I think. Please forgive me if I've got it wrong. But Romans 12 verse 2, I think that says something like, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we come to realise what Jesus has done for us, we shouldn't have to change. It shouldn't be necessary to change. It shouldn't be necessary to say, I'm different. We should want to say, I'm different. Because we should realise that in Christ we have the assurance of salvation. That when Jesus is coming back, the second time, the final time, he is coming back for us. And we are holding on to that promise that he said that he will shield us from judgment. In those days, in the book of Revelation, it talks about in the first few chapters, I think it's up to about chapter 17, 18, there's a lot of things happening there. And it's all very, very picturesque and very glorious in the way that it's illustrated in words. But the truth is, when Jesus comes back, he is going to come back to shield his bride from judgment. Because when Jesus comes back, he will be coming back to judge the world. I know this is very doom and gloom. But I want us to understand the reality here this morning. 
of what we have in Jesus. And we shouldn't feel upset. We shouldn't feel um, in pain about this unless we are living a life that is really against God and resisting God. But I want to encourage the saints here this morning. I want to encourage each and every one of you this morning that in God we have an assurance. We have a promise. And the Bible says that God's word does not return void. It doesn't come back empty-handed. It says that when Jesus comes back, he will come back for each and every one of us. And he will take us as a new creation. But I will touch on that a little bit later. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24. And the reason I like to move from passage to passage is because I'd like you to see that these things don't just appear in one place in the Bible. I want you to see that by moving around, that you'll see that various different churches, various different parts of Scripture repeat the same thing. They say the same things, sometimes to different audiences. But listen to this, Ephesians 4. Verses 17 to 24. It says, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off, say throw off, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature created To be like God, truly righteous and holy. There's that word again, holy. What does it mean, holy? It means to be sanctified, to be set aside. But in this instance, it also means to be demonstrating the very nature of God. When we start to change on the inside, what do we replace our desires with? What do we replace our words with? What do we replace our thoughts with? What do we replace our attitudes with? We replace them with the things of God. If we go and look in the book of Genesis, you can do this in your own time. I promise I won't keep making you flick around too many pages. If you look in the book of Genesis, it says there that we were made in the image of God. So that must mean if we were made in the image of God, all the attributes and all the virtues that are are in God, all the godliness that is in God, but in him it is whole, it is complete. In God, his wholeness is his holiness. 
in us, we only can demonstrate some of the virtues or some of the attributes of God at certain times. But the Bible encourages us here in Ephesians, as, as the church, they were writing to the church in, in, in Ephesus, that, um, that we should be going through progressive change. Not only are we welcomed into a place of holiness by virtue of our relationship with God, but we are also going through progressive change. I want to encourage each and every one of us this morning, if you feel like it is a struggle being a Christian, welcome to the club. You are not alone. I said to you at the start of this that, you know, I find it difficult standing here and talking about something to do with holiness, which a lot of people associate with purity and, and following the rules and doing everything right all of the time. When someone says, oh, you know, you're a Christian, are you holier than thou? That's their impression of Christians. That's their impression. That's not always the case. I have some nice conversations with people as well. But you're not alone in thinking that this change, this transformation that is supposed to be going on inside of us is, is difficult. It is. But the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh nor blood, but against principalities, powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. If you've lived in the world as long as you've lived in and you are surrounded by sin, you are surrounded by temptation, you're surrounded by people who want to do their own thing and, 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 and lean to their own desires, you're naturally going to find it hard to resist and get away from those things when you want to do what is right by God and live a life that pleases God. Now I'm aware that some of us sitting here are going to have to go back to work on Monday morning some of us are probably going to be starting university in September. Some of us are probably going to, already going through university. So the environments in which we are living and the environments in which we are in may not be entirely conducive to a Christian life. But the Bible says that we're not going to, at this time, live in perfection. The Bible doesn't say that right now when we confess Jesus Christ, all of our problems and temptations go away. But actually, through our faith in Christ Jesus, we are to overcome. Amen? We are to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it by ourselves, Because if you try and do it by yourself, you are simply going down the route of self-reliance and legalism. Because you are neglecting the power of the Holy Spirit. Now comes the daunting part. When we are progressively changing, when we are trying to change the environment as best as we can that is within our power to, to change, our social circles, our work circles, we are to then look to scriptures such as Galatians 5 for inspiration as to what not to do and what to do. So let's look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5. This is another church that was being written to. I think in this case it was probably Apostle Paul. I might be wrong, but I think it was Apostle Paul that they were writing to the church of Galatia. 
So Galatia chapter 5, verse 19 to 23. And it says this. This is to do with going through that growth in Christ and changing. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Is anyone doing anything that's not on that category? Because we can add it now, or should we really hold to the book of Revelations, closing chapters where it said, neither should there be a word added or taken away. (laughs) The Bible makes it quite clear that when we lean to doing the desires of our own hearts with our own selfish ambition, we are going to fall into the trap of falling away from what God is wanting for us. He doesn't want us to do things that are going to harm us. He doesn't want us to mix with the wrong social groups if all they're going to do is encourage us to live in a way that is not pleasing to God, that is harmful to us. Not in the flesh necessarily, but in the spirit because of what is to come. You see, we've confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. We are holding on to the promise, the assurance of salvation. That is secured. The Bible says that that is hidden in Christ. We never, ever, ever need to doubt our salvation. The only time you need to be concerned is when you find yourself willfully falling away from the desires that God places in your heart. That's the only time you need to be concerned. That you're kind of not doing the things. You're not enjoying being in God's presence. That you don't want to do these things. You don't want to pray. You don't want to read your word. The desire is not there. That's the only time to be alarmed. As long as your heart is turned to God, and as long as you are progressively striving to do your best, even when it is difficult, even when you might be crying your eyes out into your pillow at night time, and this isn't a confession, please, (laughs) when you're crying your eyes out into your pillow at night time, and you're saying, Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. The truth is that Jesus understands. That's why when he came as a, as a human, he was 100% God and 100% man. He was fully God, fully man. Why? Because he needed to experience what it was to be in human flesh, to face the same temptations, to face the same difficulties, the emotional problems that we all face, and still 
live a perfect life. Because Jesus can then claim and say, I've done it. And by him saying, I've done it, he becomes our, as the Bible calls it, chief cornerstone of our faith. Because he's already accomplished it. And everything that we build on in our lives should be built on the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But our faith should be more than just believing in certain facts. It should be more than just you know, me picking up this Bible and me sort of saying to you guys that this is the word of God. This is what the Bible says. And you say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I kind of believe the first part. In the middle, it kind of tailed off a bit, and I'm not so sure about that. But I believe the ending. Rather than believing in certain facts, our faith should be coupled with action. Faith without works is dead. Amen. And the works that I'm talking about today are not necessarily the works of the Holy Spirit in terms of reaching out to people and ministry and evangelism and praying for people and God healing people through you as a vessel. That is all well and good. And that is awesome to see God working in that way through the saints. But didn't God use a donkey? So when you think about all the goodness and the glory of of what God can do, and you then say that I'm a Christian, there should be some change going on on the inside. We should be able to confidently say that we are trying to stand right with God, progressively becoming more holy. Now, I know that holiness cannot be achieved in its fullest until that final day when Jesus comes back and he calls his, each and every one of us home. Amen? The actions that we have in, in becoming more Christ-like, conforming to the image of God, the actions aren't our default setting. Anyone here by default, holy, pure, sanctified, set aside? Anyone? No? I can put my hand down then. Um, there is no one. The Bible says that the heart of man knows nothing but wickedness. And it is only, only by the saving grace of Jesus Christ that we can stand before God, stand before Jesus, in fact, who is God, when he returns because he, Jesus, is judging the world. And we can stand before him confident in our assurance of salvation, hopeful for what lies ahead. So first of all, we need to realize the assurance that we have in Christ. Don't take it lightly. Don't flirt with it. Don't think that I'll only sort of pick it up on a Monday and I'll put it down again on a Wednesday. I don't need salvation on a Thursday. I might need a bit of grace on a Friday and a bit of mercy on a Wednesday. And that's my recipe for the week. Don't flirt with it, but realize what we have in Christ. Be confident in what we have in Christ. Be assured what we have in Christ. 
practice as best as possible holy living. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll read this to you. You don't need to find it. I'm going to challenge myself now and see if I can find it without my own bookmark. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 3. This is always interesting. Some of you here, I just suddenly this just suddenly came came into my mind. And I just want to bring this to you. Some of us here, we're all at different stages of walking with Christ. Some of us are asking the question, what is God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? I see people doing some amazing things. I see preachers preaching. I see teachers teaching. I see healers healing. What am I to do? What does God want with me? I'll tell you what God wants with you. And it's right here in his word. God's will is for you to be holy. Amen? Amen. Hold on to that simple, simple truth. Don't let any posh words sway you away. Don't let any um, fancy teachers, preachers pull you away from that truth. God wants you to live a holy life as best as you reasonably can whilst in this body until Jesus returns. Second Peter, you can look this one up, make a note of this scripture. Um, this is one that you probably want to note. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 9. You can look these up and read these in your own time. But there are some words there from Jesus, uh, sorry, from, from Peter, again, to the same church, scattered. But he's writing this time to give them additional things that they can do with their faith. Things like adding knowledge, adding moral excellence. If you read them in your own time and have a look at them, pray about them and ask God to help you to apply them, not just one at a time, but you're supposed to try and do them all in various, in various ways, as best as you can. That would be a good starting point as to understanding holy living. If we read a bit further on in First Thessalonians 4, Again, Paul is exhorting to the Thessalonian church and he says, God's will is for you to be holy. Yes? So stay away from all sexual sin. It's quite incredible how, how sexual sin comes up quite a lot. And I know that whenever a preacher or a teacher mentions sexual sin, some of us kind of shrink and we sort of sit there thinking, who's, who's going to react to this? Who's going to react to this? Truth is that all sin is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. All sin, not just sexual sin. But sexual sin is, is something quite unique in the sense that God created sex to be something that was done in holy matrimony, a union between uh, a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom, and that is representative of the marriage, of the union between Christ and his saints, the church. 
So it's actually quite interesting that it's mentioned quite a few times. And I ask you again, are you eagerly awaiting Jesus' return? Or are you flirting with the world and the world, what, what the world offers? Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honour. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, I always love that word, therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, because it doesn't matter to me if you do or don't, in a sense, but because I'm compelled by the love of God this morning, and hopefully as often as I can be, I want to encourage you not to reject these teachings, but to accept them, because if you accept them, you are accepting God, and if you reject them, According to the scriptures, you are rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So when we look at those first two points that I brought, realising what we have in Christ, and the second point of growing in Christ, maturing in our faith, demonstrating uh, growth in our Christian character, aspiring to do what is morally right, the moral standards of God. I'm not talking about the laws of the world. I'm not talking about doing what is right by Richard down the road at number 32. I'm talking about the moral law of God. When we do these things, when Jesus returns, we are then told that he will give us new bodies. That as faithful believers and followers of Christ Jesus, those of us sitting here this morning saying, I want to be counted amongst the many. Do you remember we read about the many at the beginning in Hebrews? He came to pay the price for many. If you want to be counted amongst the many, then you need to continue to live your life as best as possible in a holy way. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll be closing out in just a moment. Second Corinthians, when I said that when Jesus comes back, the second time, the last time, the final time, that he is going to give us new bodies. Here it is right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent, that is our bodies, that we live in is taken down, that is when we die and we leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. So we're not going to be this floating amber of light as some people like to portray it. 
the spirit that is in each and every one of us will be embodied in the glory that God is going to give you when he comes back. Why? Because if we were to see Jesus in our fleshly bodies as they are now, I'm putting my own words into this now, so forgive me, we would probably disintegrate. Because his holiness, his majesty, his awesome wonder would be too much. His righteousness would be too much for us to be able to bear. That is the awesome wonder of God. So he will need to clothe us in new clothing. I hope you understand the terminology there. The book of Revelation says that God is going to create, in the book of Revelation chapter 21, I nearly fell off my seat this morning when I saw it being read. It's amazing, isn't it, how God brings a scripture that I'm closing with and he says, I'm going to open with that scripture. Amen? Book of Revelation chapter 21. And it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look! Look! God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. No sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. The book of Revelation closes in the same way that the book of Genesis is opened in paradise. Amen? Amen. Who wants to be in paradise with Jesus when he comes back? Amen? Who wants to be in paradise with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, His Majesty, Jesus Christ, when he returns? If you want to be with Jesus in those days, in, those, in that hopeful future that lies ahead, there is one distinct difference between the opening and the closing of the Bible, between all those other books and the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation closes with no evil. Evil is gone. Temptation Gone. Sickness, disease, gone. Fears and tears, gone. All taken care of by Jesus Christ. So I ask you again this morning do you really, really realize what you have in Christ Jesus? 
You have an inheritance. You have an assurance in Christ. Do you practice as best as possible holy living? As best as you reasonably can? Or have you kind of struggled and given up thinking that it's got the better of you and it's not something that is for you, holy living? Laying hands on the sick is for you. Preaching the word is for you. Being an encourager is for you. But holy living, that's for someone else. Holy living is not an option. It's actually part of who we are. It's it's what makes us different. When we confess Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, from that moment there is a work going on inside of us. That is why we find it so difficult in life. We notice things that the the other people in the world kind of just accept. But we know that behind it all there is... God and there is Jesus and there is the Holy Spirit and there is the hope of a wonderful future in paradise worshipping face to face with God do you want to be counted as in the many why don't we just stand to our feet Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.